Time again for another episode of Scaring and Sharing. Yes, the podcast where we share spooky news and frightful views with each other and you about all things horror. All the things. We are the Scare Boys. I'm here today with the original Sasquatch Slim Rusk. And as always, you are Brandy Joe Planbeck, the flaming scream queen himself. You got it, buddy. <laughs> and if you've never listened to us before, or even if you have, you know the drill. Jeremy and I love horror movies. We talk about them. We live them. We love them. We get together and we talk about them and we share with each other news and views we've had. And then on our typical episodes, we um, know movies the other person has not watched before and we share them with that person. We watch them, we come back, we talk about them. Could be good. Sometimes they're bad, but it's just, just stuff we want to watch and talk about. So, yep. For every housebound, there is a chrome skull colon laid to rest, too. So, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I was going to say, for every hereditary, there is a ghoulies four. So. <laughs> oh my God. No. Oh God. Yeah. There's there's been some bad ones, but you know, as I mentioned, I think on the last episode, we're coming up on three years, which is crazy. Mm -hmm. um, coming up on 150 episodes, and while some episodes we watched one movie, like went to the movie theater. Sometimes we have guests on, and we don't talk about any movies if they're like really high profile and they don't have time to give you know two episodes to us. There isn't like a strict. Here's what we do all the time. But regardless, we have shared like hundreds of movies with the other person yeah like like over a hundred at least so that's yep. like terribly exciting we've watched a lot of movies <laughs> <laughs> we really really have um and speaking of uh i tried to watch a movie last night that i keep hearing about called night killer do you know of this film Hold the name sounds real familiar. Gonna, I'll read the description to you, okay? Because it, the description made me go, and I kept seeing it, it somewhere. So the description is: Melanie Beck is the only surviving victim of a killer rapist who wears a Freddy Krueger esque mask and claw. Despite having seen the killer's face, Beck has blocked it from her memory. Becoming suicidal, she tries to kill herself on the beach, but is saved by Axel, another rapist sleazeball who keeps her locked in his hotel room. All this builds up to a mind blowing conclusion. How, like you can't forget that no i looked it up i've heard of this movie never seen it i know it's an italian like because of the mask the killer wears they're like it's partially like a or one of the killers like i don't know but there's there's a lot of ripoff of nightmare on elm street going on in it that's why i've heard of it uh from the and it's uh claudio fragrasso directed it and he directed troll 2 so See, and the, the weird thing there is, yes, and, oh, yes, and you, it was mm -hmm. also directed by Bruno Matai. Oh, Bruno Matai. Okay, yeah. He also did Zombie 3, Night of the Zombies. Yeah. Cruel Jaws, Rats, <laughs> all these movies that you're like, oh, boy. Yes. Um, and it definitely has that feel. It feels like one of those movies. Yes. And also Troll 2, 100%. It is, oh, my God. Like, for a while, it was fun and a good time and then i was just like oh my god like i need people to watch this with because it's that bad i gotta check that out oh fuck it is wild and like i kept thinking oh freddy freddy krueger but it's really more like a 
like a claw, not like knives, but like like a like an oh. animal claw. Okay. Oh God, though. Oh yeah. God, if anyone out there has watched it, I got I gotta know what you think. And should I stick around and watch the last thirty minutes because it it was so painful, I just couldn't. Yeah. <laughs> Have you watched anything this week? I watched. Okay, in the same vein. I have now finally, I know we've talked about this and we've talked about doing some Children of the Corn thing. So I finally dipped my toe in and I watched Children of the Corn 2, The Final Sacrifice. Oh my God. The sequel. Yeah, I tried to watch it some time ago. I didn't make it very far. Did you watch the whole thing? Yeah. And the weirdest thing is I fell in love with it. Like, did? Yeah, it was like really bad for a minute. Uh, but uh, I don't know. It's like, it's like getting into cold water. You just like acclimate to it eventually. Like I was sort of like on its wavelength because what really did it for me is like, as the movie goes along, the plot gets more bonkers as to what's going on. Like they introduced this whole thing about like the corn has like mold growing on it, like air gut, which is an actual type of mold that can grow on crops that causes insanity. Like if people consume it. Uh, So there's like this weird subplot that like, maybe the kids just ate this moldy corn and went crazy. Um, But also like all the actors playing the, the titular children of the corn, like they dial it up to 11. Like they're all just like giving it their all with like how evil and crazy, like the main one by the end of the movie, he's just screaming all of his lines. And okay. they're about like the blood, the corn needs the blood and stuff like that. It's like so ridiculous. But yeah, no, it took a while to get going. Initially, I'm like, this is just horrible. Like, what a bad movie. And then like about halfway through, I clicked over to like, no, this is weird enough that like I'm into this now. Um, there's a one thing that made a big difference is there's this Native American character they bring in. OK, that like he shows up like halfway into the movie and he has like a lot of really killer lines. <laughs> like there's one part where he's like, uh, isn't it just like a white man to think only he has the right to be somewhere and nobody else or something like to <laughs> one of the other characters. <laughs> and I'm oh, like, that's good. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, he's got like all these great digs at just like you white people. And it's like amazing. But um, yeah yeah no i i was on board it's not a good movie but it like it became really fun like about halfway into it where i'm like okay and the kills once people start getting killed it has like really good kill scenes because doesn't an old woman get like killed by her house like the house like caves in on her yeah for some reason she's crawling under the crawl space and then the kids show show up and they like will the house to fall (laughs) down on top of her that's like i remember seeing like a picture of that in like fangoria like I, yeah. I like that is the one thing I know about this movie is this old woman gets like crushed by a house. And then they they use like black magic and make some dude's like head melt essentially. Like he just starts bleeding out of every orifice on his head. And that's a really cool effect. So there are some cool kill scenes in it. But overall it's like a fun bad a fun yeah. bad movie. A good bad yeah, it's movie. Good bad, fun bad, okay. I would call it. Because it's like it is, but like you said in the beginning, I was just like what are these characters? What is going on? Like it introduces like the hero, quote unquote, is like a tabloid reporter who's reporting on the murders from the original movie. <laughs> and he's mm-hmm. like following the story of like a bunch of the kids moved to another town. And of course, that they start killing again. Uh, and uh, it, but he's got his son with him and they have like a horrible relationship. And it's just like weird. It's like weirdly plotted out and strange and the son has a side plot where he has his like summer romance with some local girl that like mm-hmm. it adds nothing to the story and it's not interesting really so huh okay but yeah and I, 
I remember. Oh, yeah. Because also, oh, yeah. I think that I had tried to watch this because I remember Christy Clark from Days of Our Lives is in it. Mm-hmm. She's so pretty. She plays Carrie mm-hmm. in um, Days of Our Lives. Carrie Brady. Uh, speaking of, I saw a shirt that says Carrie and it has Carrie Bradshaw from Sex and the City, but it's like, it, it's in the style of like Carrie, like the, the, the movie, movie. Sissy Basic, where it, like yeah. the, the look of it looks like an ad of Carrie and then Carrie Bradshaw's like covered in blood. <laughs> and I'm like, I need that shirt. It looks so great. I want that. I know. Me too. Um, so I saw this thing on online and I don't even remember where it was, but it had like Mount Rushmore, but instead of Mount Rushmore, like instead of the president's faces, it had George A. Romero, Wes Craven, Toby Hooper, and John Carpenter. Ooh. And I wondered if you were creating Mount Rushmore <laughs> and putting four horror directors, Mount Rush Horror, <laughs> we'll call it. <laughs> who would your four directors be? Oh, who would my four be? Holy crap, that's going to be hard. I do think I would have John Carpenter and George Romero on there. Um, as much as I love Toby Hooper and Wes Craven, I'm not sure they'd make the cut because I don't know if I like because their impact. Because I feel like Romero's got to be on there because the impact with his zombie movies sure. is like is so huge. Uh, and and John Carpenter as well, like of all the directors, you know, with Halloween alone. I mean, Wes Craven's almost there with Nightmare on Elm Street, but it's like, I don't know. He's got a lot of. A lot more not as great stuff, I think, in his filmography, too. But um, so I've um, had a little more time to think about it. So I'm going to tell yeah. you mine. OK, just since I just mm-hmm. like I just put it off on you. So here's who I would do. I would do Wes Craven and John Carpenter for sure, because mm-hmm. I love a lot of their movies and they're influential to my time. Mm-hmm. Um, I would also put. Um, I think I put Jordan Peele, mm-hmm. because, even though even though. Get Out is the only one of his movies that I truly love. I like the other movies, and I just, I love what he's done for the genre. Mm -hmm. And also just, like, being creative and keeping things fresh. And then, finally, I would put... um, Oh, my God. uh, House of... House of Bly... Or Bly Manor. Oh, yeah. Mike Flanagan. Thank you, Mike Flanagan, because I'm a fan again. So, yes, I would put Flanagan, for sure. Because I, I... Haunting of Hill House is my favorite show. So my favorite that I literally just forgot his name as I was thinking about it. <laughs> yeah. But that's what I put. I would put those four. Two, um, not oldies, but two a little more class, like mid-classics. Mm-hmm. And then two contemporaries. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah, no, let's see. Yeah, John Carpenter. I'm trying to think other other contenders that are popping to mind for me uh, would be uh, maybe like Dario Argento. He might be a good mm-hmm. one or because uh, I'm trying to think of some of the European directors, not so American centric because, you know, there's others to choose from. Um, but here's the idea. Do, do you keep it to just filmmakers, though? Because um, there are plenty of other, you know, like immediately I'm thinking of Christopher Lee uh, with everything he did for Hammer. Like mm-hmm. he could qualify or Jamie Lee Curtis, um, you know, the like original scream queen, like uh, they could be contenders in my mind as well, uh, just for the impact on the culture. Uh, Nev Campbell. Yeah. No, I think those are those are good. It, there's yeah. lots of good options. Yeah, there's so many good options. It's hard. Mine's going to be like a row. It's going to be like 12 people. <laughs> <laughs> there's no rules. Yeah, no rules. There's just a ton of them. But like all of those are great. Um, 
I'm gonna have to think about this. I might come All back right. later with All a right. with a solid list. Oh my god, Jeremy, we have another giveaway. Cool. I know. Very cool. And it's a first. It's a book. And it's a wow. good book. And it relates to something we've already done, which is I think, well, not a first, because we did the Scream 6 Blu-rays. But this is for the new Stephen King book, Holly. Mm-hmm. So own your own copy of Holly, Stephen King's new suspense novel, now available wherever books are sold. Holly Gibney, one of Stephen King's most compelling and ingeniously resourceful characters, returns in this thrilling novel to solve the gruesome truth behind multiple disappearances in a Midwestern town. Sounds terribly exciting. Mm-hmm. So I have a couple physical copies. Uh, if you are interested in one of those, hit me up. Hit us up on the good old Insta, Scaring and Sharing, all one word. We also have some um, some ebooks available. Uh, it, so hit me up if you are interested. If you want to read this new Holly book by Stephen King, let's let's do it. I'm gonna read it for sure. Yeah. Uh, let's. We have some teragrams. Let's let's get to them. I'll kick us off. I have one from good old Teacher Drew. Yes, we love Teacher Drew. And Teacher Drew writes to us and says, if I can get to it, he says, "Hey guys, I have to say that nothing brings me joy like a new podcast from YouTube." So glad you went old school with the blob. Truth be told, my memories are more pronounced with the remake from 1986. You see, I was on a date at a drive-in theater, and we didn't see much of the movie, if you know what I mean. Oh, <laughs> the scandal of it all. I rewatched Exorcist 2 after all these years, and although it had many problems, it was not as awful as I remember. Your take? In English, we just read The Monkey's Paw. It stuck. It struck me, again, how cinematic this horror story is, and I couldn't help but wonder why there is not a quality movie version of this story. It could be horrifyingly epic. So I'm putting it out into the universe. Please make this happen. Are there any stories you'd like to see come to life on the screen? Thanks for all your recommendations for best horror movies you've never seen. The only title on your list that I had already seen was Pumpkinhead. Till next time, love to you both. Stay happy, stay happy, stay happy. Uh, it does say stay happy, stay happy, but normally it's stay happy, stay healthy, stay you, Teacher Drew and Phoenix. But I'll stay happy, stay happy, Teacher Drew. Yeah, double the happy. <laughs> okay, I've never read The Monkey's Paw. What I know of it is it's Pet Cemetery, right? Like, in a, the, the, I, the notion of it. Mm-hmm. Right? Right? No, it's the one you make wishes. I know that. Right, but I think that Pet Cemetery is loosely based on Yeah, but there's always a twist. Yes, yeah, like so. the, the payback. Just like I was talking about with that show, Hell, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hell Girl. It's yes. like, yes, you can get this thing, but also the consequences. But the consequences are horrendous. So, mm-hmm. Which I love that. It's such a a cool idea just overall because some it's like just talking to karma it's speaking to karma like if something naturally is supposed to go a particular way and you force it to go another way you may get what you want and the forcing of it however Mm -hmm. the ripple effect of how that will trickle down to you isn't always necessarily how you hoped it would go yeah it's it's also an idea in like ritual magic uh, of certain you know, practices and beliefs, which is the law of equivalent exchange, where if you really want something of value really bad, you have to be willing to give up something of equal value to get that thing. So, um, yeah, you yeah, have pay, you have to pay the price. So I just pulled it up. There is an Are You Afraid of the Dark episode, call back to last episode, called The Tale Ooh. of the Twisted Claw. <gasps> oh, I remember that one. That Do one. Was, you? That one was scary. Yep. Okay. 
Um, the, From what also, I remember, I'm sure it's like horrible now. But <laughs> as a child, I was like, this is so scary. There's also an episode of Buffy called Forever that deals with it, in which uh, Spike and Dawn attempt to revive Joyce. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Spoilers. Mm-hmm. Um, and there actually is a movie called The Monkey's Paw. Well, there's a few. There's a silent film from 1915, a silent film from 1923, a 1933 film, a 48 film, and a 2013 film, which, since we never heard about it, I'm sure is not very good. Corbin Blue is in it and Stephen Lang. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, has no one's heard of that shit? So yeah, make a I big just, one. I feel like I've heard of it because of Pet Cemetery. Like that's to me, even though I know they're not like you know direct adaptations, but the the idea of it. But yeah. I'm gonna look up the Monkey's Paw, the one from 2013, because it just can't be good if yeah. no and, one talked about it. And when I when people say the Monkey's Paw, I think of the Simpsons. And uh, that was listed on the adaptations. I just <laughs> like I moved on from it. The segment in the uh, Treehouse of Horror episode, which is a, a great one. So, and it's inter- when I'm looking at like when I pull it up on IMDb, the 2013 one is has a 4.6 rating, which is not good. That's you yeah. know like a, a two out of five, I would imagine, or yes. even a, like roughly <laughs> thereabouts. Yeah, and it, um. It reminds me of talk to me like that the hand like there's like the creepy hand granted it's a monkey's paw yeah but... i know the i can think of the poster like i've seen it float mm-hmm. around yeah, on, it's almost like, like on streaming like yeah yeah and it's inter- with talk to me coming out there's oh my gosh the the discourse there the discourse right like there's very and it's very split there's another word for that um mm-hmm. you you use it sometimes what is that word when things are very divided oh uh, the uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> there is a word that I know you use sometimes. Yeah, I can't I, even think of what I, I say. I can't fucking think of it. But there is, there's a lot of talk about it, especially on my, my gay horror groups. And I'm a part of an A24 group on Facebook as well. People love it. People hate it. People talk about the hype a lot, like that uh-huh. it didn't live up to it. Um, but also because some of these groups are queer, queer polarized. Facing, polarizing thank you the, the, yep. the views are very polarizing uh and but lots of people you know are very happy that there is like a non-binary uh performer in there and i i really appreciate that as well i think this is the year of non-binary representation within horror it just really feels like there um is a lot of it this year and i'm so so grateful for that and i'm mm-hmm. I'm, just, I'm just let's just keep moving the needle forward you know yeah Let's now, is it. that phrase move the needle forward like in regards to a record? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> or is it like putting a needle in your arm like let's just keep going deeper? Yeah, I don't know. Where's that come from? Or I think uh, of like equipment that has like needles <laughs> that measure things. So uh the expression move the needle comes from record players. Okay. That's yeah, what I that always makes- imagine in my head and it makes sense. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. But also, it's like if you just start to put the needle in your arm and you don't go deep enough, you're not going to get the medicine in the proper spot, right? Like you have yeah. to go in a vein. Yeah, so correct. So it could have been that. Could have been. Um, could have been. <laughs> but it's not. <laughs> um, also, Teacher Drew, uh, please watch some of those movies we recommended. I want to know some that you hadn't seen um, it, when you watch them, what you do think. Some other ones I wanted to throw in there that I didn't the last time are Session 9, which is Ooh. so good. Yeah, that's that's so an awesome creepy. movie. Um, we've done it on the pod when we had It's Only a Podcast on Stranger by the Lake. So, so good. Absentia, which we've also done on the pod, and Cam. C-A-M. Mm. 
I I love, I mean, I already said Mike Flanagan, fucking love him. And Absentia is so, so good. And I really thought Cam was so creative and cool. So that's another one I recommend. Session nine, if for some reason, I think I had like discovered them around the same time. So that's why I connect these two movies. But like Session Nine's a great one because nobody talks about it anymore. And that's like a really cool indie horror Creeper. flick. Yeah. Creeper, yeah. And another one um that no one talks about anymore that I was like. I don't know. I remember when it came out, some people didn't like it because it was like a twisty kind of movie. It was built on twists, but the movie Frailty, I thought that was uh, really effective and nobody talks about it anymore. And it's got some big names in it as well. So, yeah, I'm not a big fan of that from when I saw it initially, but I know lots of people are real, yeah. real horny for it. So I don't know. Revisit it. I feel okay. like it hold, I think it holds up a lot better than just, you know. I don't know. I think it's the twists in it initially. People are like, what? But if you go back and rewatch, because I've seen it a few times now, I think if you rewatch where you're not, you know, you already know what's somewhat going on. It plays better, I think. But. Okay. Um, what about The Exorcist 2? It is one I need to rewatch. I don't think I've watched it since high school when obviously I wasn't even into bad movies at the time. Yeah. I feel like if I watched it knowing how bad it is, I could have fun with it. Yeah, I've got a similar experience where like the I think the only time I watched it was in like college. Uh and that was with the knowledge knowing that um it was bad. It, it, it used to be like I feel like it's kind of fallen out of that conversation, but it often got brought up as like one of the worst movies ever made. Mm-hmm. Uh especially oh, yeah. in like mainstream Hollywood, like how bad could they have missed the mark like making a sequel to something so good because it is wildly different from the original movie. Totally. Um, but all I remember about it is it being very boring because I remember a lot of scenes of just Linda Blair at a doctor's office. Like, and locusts. Like, I just remember locusts. Yeah. And then the ending switches over to this weird thing about locusts. Those are the things I remember. A lot of it is just gone because I feel like it didn't make a big impact on me. I remember uh-huh. I literally remember the situation of like sitting in my friend's basement, watching it with a group of friends. I think we were probably like seniors in high school like maybe having just like started college kind of age somewhere around there uh late teens early 20s um and several of us were huge fanatics of like the original exorcist of course so we're like we're like okay we gotta watch this like let's watch the sequels uh and then watched two um and i remember two being so like left cold by it that i never visited any of the other sequels like I didn't I didn't see three until way later in life because I was just like two sucked. Why Why would I even? Yeah. Why would I even watch three? And then, you know, the prequels and I'm like, all of this is terrible. (laughs) So I didn't really engage with any of them until like way down the line. But yeah, no, that's good. Yeah, three is actually good. And then uh, the other ones. I mean, there's a prequel and then there's another version of the prequel. And I understand I've not watched those. I don't want to. I've seen the one that came out to theaters whatever they call that one and then i've seen part of the other version of it called dominion i think Mm -hmm. um and people make an argument that that version is better than the other one i'm like no they're the same freaking movie just with different scenes like slightly altered scenes um they're not good pretty much three three is the only good sequel so far uh but yeah i don't remember two very well and i kind of want to revisit it to see if it i know a lot of people are reevaluating it and saying it's not as bad as we say it's not good but it's not as horrible as has been said over the years so 
And what I find interesting in it is that they sort of swap out Ellen Burstyn for Louise Fletcher. Yeah. And I often get them mixed up in my head with movies as well, like as Nurse Ratchet went over the cuckoo's nest. It, I know now it's Louise Fletcher, but I used to think it was Ellen Burstyn. Yeah. Same with like um, the grandma and Flowers in the Attic, the original. Like I would get yeah. them mixed up in my head. So it's just funny that the Ellen Burstyn didn't come back for part two, but Louise Fletcher did. And mm-hmm. I, I think it's playing like a doctor, isn't it? She's not playing Chris. But, yeah, she's but playing still, some she's kind of doctor. Yeah. Because I think they are they should like play sisters. I don't know if they ever have, but I feel like they're very similar in that, that sort of way. Louise Fletcher also reminds me of the nurse from Nightmare on Elm Street 3. The, the like yes. nurse. Yeah. Like, they're similar yep. vibes. Which she, I'm still working my way through Never Sleep Again, the, the documentary on Nightmare on Elm Street. But she's on there and people all talk like she she's still alive and kicking i mean i i don't think she was that old in that movie but she talks about how people like talked about how mean she was and she's like i never saw her that way <laughs> she's uh-huh. like i'm always a little surprised by that uh-huh. Uh-huh. which i think is fascinating based on also like what piper laurie said about playing um mrs white and margaret white and carrie like yeah. i think some I, I think it's it's better if you're not playing a character that is like quote unquote the villain as like, oh, I'm the bad guy. You have to layer them and have like motivations that really drive them, not like I'm bad, but like that they're yeah. driven by passion and that for them it's right, it's not wrong. Yeah, they're rational. That, 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 yeah. They have an internal rationality to what they're doing. So, yeah. And I've often been told that in regards to theater and acting, when you're playing the bad guy, you can't look at yourself as the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Like you have to find the layers. You can't just be like you have, and you have to find the reasons, even if like you as a person would never do these things. Why, you know, why would you and, and everything? And I do think playing against type is often the more scary choice. Like when yes. watching it, it's more interesting always. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you, teacher Drew, for writing in. Oh, I was going to say he had one more oh, yes. thing in there, which what, was which? the uh, where he was asking about stories. You want to see adapted where I'm like, of oh, course, yes. of course, that comes from an English teacher, because I'm course. sure you got all kinds of stories. I'm sitting here like, man, it's been so long. But I remember in high school, like I took a number of literature classes uh, and we read tons of short stories that I like. I can't even remember the names of half of them. Um, but in that vein, what I can pull up, I know it's already been done and it's been done, but adapted to modern uh, versions. But what I want to see is the most dangerous game. Mm. But done as a period piece again, like a big budget period piece, like set in the, you know, 1800s or early 1900s, like the original story, because there's a bunch of versions of it. Like there's the movie Hard Target with Jean-Claude Van Damme, which is really just a version of the most dangerous game. But, you know, it was made in the 80s, so it's like modernized. Uh, but I'm like, no, no, take it back to the uh, uh, the period it was originally written in. I think that would be cool uh, for like costuming and design and stuff. Yeah. And, and another one, uh, I took a science fiction class, like a science fiction literature class in high school, which was kind of awesome. Um, but we read the original story of The Day the Earth Stood Still, which, of course, has been adapted into the, the famous movie from the 50s. And they did it again with Keanu Reeves in uh, the 2000s at some point. Um, but that version, like both versions are not straight adaptations of the story. Like the story has a very different uh, resolution to the plot than the movies did. Um, so I'd like to see a version that's true to the original uh, short story. Because uh, even the Keanu Reeves movie was just a remake of the movie before it didn't, you okay. know, they had the same deviations from the original short story. So um, that's what I'm going to throw out there. I'd like to see the original short story, like adapted 
straight up. See, for me, it's books and not stories. I don't, I can't think of any stories, but movie, book wise, I would love to see The Secret History by Donna Tartt. I know they had talked about forever ago with Gwyneth Paltrow. This is mm. a long, long ass time ago, but that's like my favorite book, at least. I've said that for a long time now. Um, and then also, uh, the, I know I've said it before, but The Troop by Nick Cutter. I love that. I want that mm-hmm. to be. And A Head Full of Ghosts by um, Paul Tremblay. I would, I want to see those three to be films so bad and the institute by stephen king which was supposed to also but i think that's pre-covid that that was being discussed i think it was gonna be like a a hbo miniseries or something Mm -hmm. Um, but i was a big fan of the institute so i would like to see that as well yeah i'd like to see the tommy knockers as a as a movie yeah done well because i mean i think we've talked about it that book needs to be severely edited because like half the book is not that great but there is some cool story elements in there uh, and I feel like if somebody like made a tight like 90 minute movie out of the good parts uh, mm-hmm. with like the budget to do it, you could have a really cool movie based on that. Whereas, you know, I know they did that TV miniseries and it's not good. That's all I remember about okay. it was like trying to watch it and being like, yeah, that's a, for some reason they decided to take a lot of his long books back in the 90s and try and turn them into miniseries television events. And they were always not very good. So, yeah. It's the one anyway. that stands out, but of course it has, you know, now been sort of surpassed by the the remake. Yes. So. All right. Well, thanks, Teacher Drew. For real this time, thanks. Yeah, for real this time, thanks. <laughs> thanks and for remembering all that. We're moving on to our other great uh, tried and true uh, <laughs> correspondent, Lauren, the goth botanist. And uh, Lauren writes, another OG that was greatly improved by the remake, in our opinion, The Crazies. The OG, billed as codename Trixie from 1973, is so hard to get emotionally engaged with. MJ walked in for like 30 seconds and left the room without hesitation. The 2010 remake with Timothy Oliphant and Rada Mitchell. Am I saying her name right? Raja. Raja. Raja Mitchell. uh, Was much more exciting, engaging, and thrilling. The original feels like a lazy, big government can't be trusted made in someone's backyard with a cast who forgot how to act like real people it reminds me of the same thing brandy joe feels when comparing the 1958 the blob to the 1988 the blob man that remake stuck with me as a child and yes the sink scene from the blob remake as well as the raft from creep show 2 both live rent free in my mind i think the idea of being slowly digested alive by a suffocating gelatinous mass is definitely one of my ways i really don't want to die thanks childhood <laughs> And I'm wrong. It's Rada. I believe it's Rada. Rada. I, I Rada. said Ra- Raja. I think is how I used to say it, but Rada. And I think that's how you said it. So yeah, Rada. Yeah, I I saw the crazies in an airport. I remember I was speaking of you know scaring with strangers or whatever. We decided to call the yeah, game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I remember watching an airport and really liking it. I've never seen the original, but I have heard it is improved. You've seen both, right? Yes, I have. I saw. Uh... And in, in, in like the opposite order, I saw the remake like first when it like originally came out or like around the time it first came out. And I was like, this is pretty cool. Um, and I love Timothy Oliphant. Like I'm a, definitely a uh, Oliphant, if you will, of <laughs> Timothy Oliphant so, or Ola Stan, maybe. Um, so I'm, I'm all about Timothy Oliphant and he like carries that movie. He's awesome in it. Um, and then I went back and watched the original because I know it's George Romero, mm-hmm. but, but it came out in that like. Romero, I feel like, has a weird point where he did Night of the Living Dead, of course, his first movie, 
And then he tried a bunch of stuff before he finally got to Dawn of the Dead. And there's that like in-between period where you sort of see like permutations of these ideas he has that he kind of does in Night of the Living Dead and then again in Dawn of the Dead appear in the movies and the crazy sort of has a feel where it's like it sort of feels like a rehash of Night of the Living Dead, but throwing in some more like heavier uh, social, you know, uh, satire ideas that will get, you know, picked up on in Dawn of the Dead. Um, But it is kind of boring. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. it just sort of like meanders a lot, I feel like, and it didn't have a big budget or anything like that. So um he tried. It's one of those I understand the script was like written for a movie that would have had a bigger budget, but that's not what he ended up with. So he had to make do with what he had. And it's kind of uh yeah, it kind of goes off into weird tangents a bit. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just, yeah, it's 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 a so-so movie. Whereas I feel the remake is like, yeah, I think it's a better constructed movie. Okay, uh, it had more money to pull off the ideas that were going on. So yeah, I remember being creepy. I remember a pitchfork. I think that's like the poster. It's like a mm-hmm. pitchfork being like dragged. Yes, it is. Yep. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. And Timothy Olyphant is uh, sick. Yeah. 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 He's a hottie. He's in this sort of not talked of often movie called the broken hearts club which is this little gay film back from the 90s that has just like an all-star cast it's like dean kane and zach braff and um what's the john mulaney Mul- wait um he's in one of the like frazier or something like that who's that okay. do you know no are you a frazier person not <laughs> me either i was as a child just because my parents watched it so but i don't remember anyone that was in it other um, than the leads I am pulling it up now because John Mahoney. Sorry. John Mahoney. Okay. Yeah. Mary McCormick, Justin Thoreau, Jennifer Coolidge. Like it is like a stacked cast. Definitely stacked for the the 90s. Yeah, it uh, is. For sure. Um, And Billy Porter. I can't forget Billy Porter. Wow. Um, But yeah, if you are a fan of gay cinema, whether you are queer or not, I recommend checking it out because it is real good. But Timothy Oliphant is the lead in it, and he's just so cute. And God, Dean Cain back in the day, he was such a heartthrob, you know? Yeah. Oh, man. Superman. Oh, yes. Mm. I feel like Timothy Oliphant, too. Like, I, you know, we've talked about the idea of Scream Kings, and I feel like he's earned that title, too. I think he's done enough that he's an unsung. You think? Yeah. I mean, Scream 2, The Crazies. He's in uh, Santa Clarita Diet. I mean, he's 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 floated around in the genre. Maybe uh, a prince. Maybe a, a prince, prince. Yeah. Maybe a or screen Dutch. prince. Yeah. A duke. <laughs> a duke. Is a, a scream... Dutch a thing? Or I don't know. A duke? It's a duke and a duchess, right? A duchess. Yeah, that's it. The... It's a duke and okay. a duchess. Yep, that's it. <laughs> a Dutch. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. Oh, pull yeah. I'm back. Yeah, he's he's floated around in there in genre film a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you know, know, and he's not talked about, so. He definitely is not talked about, you are correct. So, there you go. All right, well, sweet. What else? Anything else? Thank you, Lauren, for writing in. You are. Oh, yes, absolutely. You are. Yes, you match. Awesome. What about you, Jeremy? News or views? Nah, after that, nothing. We talked about Children of the Corn, too. (laughs) I feel like I'm slowly, cautiously going to continue moving forward with Children of the Corn sequels here or there to see, uh, you know, once we make Children of the Corn whole an actual reality. 
I know over on It's Only a Podcast, they do an overkill series where they go through an entire series of something and watch every episode and, you know, discuss them as they go through. And I would double dog dare them to do Children, <laughs> to do children of the Corn. Because there's yeah. so many, it's like they're all bad ones. But I know in particular, probably Ian would go absolutely crazy. Yeah, even um, the even the first one is not even that good really no so. it's really not it really isn't yeah, I, it, but it like creeped me out so much as a kid i remember watching bits and pieces of on hbo like if i think of it i think of them carving like a swastika and like someone's like chest and how much that like scarred me as a kid just like seeing yeah. that yeah it was it's it's like it's it's a great like b movie midnight movie that sort of you know cult movie so bad it's good the original like that's why i think it's lived on yeah but it is fascinating to think about though too where the first one came out in like 1984 or something mm-hmm. like that, I think. Yeah. And they didn't make two until like 1992. Yeah. yeah. Almost 10 years later. And uh, it's like, yeah, because everyone was like, no, there's no series here. But Miramax bought it and was like, let's ring out all let's make a million sequels because that's what yep. Miramax did that with Hellraiser. Like Hellraiser was like done as a series after the first two and then Miramax bought the rights and we're like, Nope, we're going to make like eight more sequels. To this. And you've seen in search of darkness, there's one more happening and they've said, apparently it's the last one, but it's like 90 to like 94. Yeah. Yeah. I did see that. And I'm like, okay, that'll be interesting. And someone said, and I didn't read this like exact quote. It was just someone's post that like the, the creator said, like after scream came out, like everything changed. And prior to that, it was much more diverse or I don't know, like not, not diverse in like ethnicity, but like in things were all over the place. But once scream came out, everything was just sort of cookie cuttered after scream. Yeah. Something along those lines. So, um, I agree yeah. with that. Yeah. Cause you go back and watch anything. You're like, Oh, that was in the early nineties. They are all over the place. They're either like trying to copy what the eighties did. Uh, still like that feels like a transitionary period like that 91 to 94 ish time period is sort of like they're either still trying to copy stuff that was happening in the 80s or uh they're trying like weird like really weird stuff i i feel was going on with like you know the twists or the plot choices before scream happened and they're like oh we're gonna go this meta route of like self-awareness and like a very distinct like slasher movie sort of uh yeah also, so much stuff direct to DV- to video. Yeah, at the direct time. to there video. Was so like, much. So it's just non-stop. like all over. Like I think of Ticks, that movie Ticks. There were just like so many movies like that. Yep. Lots um, like that. Lots of throwback type stuff. And then, then a lot of like weird sequels to like already existing franchises that be like forgot about because they were just direct to video. Yeah. Much so like I'm, the Children of the Corns. So totally. I, I, I hope that they will touch upon Children of the Corn 2 in that. Yeah upcoming in search of darkness and i'm excited for that because i feel like i don't even though that was the time i was watching a lot of horror movies like the late 80s into the early into the early 90s when i were my formative horror years i just yeah i'll be curious to see what they select yeah 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 but i think pre-orders start in like october but that probably means it's coming out like this spring or something like that so i mean even with wes craven think about new nightmare that was in that time period and that is actually you go back and watch it and you're like this is a pretty weird movie like these were weird choices to do like he was hitting at that meta like idea Mm -hmm. that they would do better with scream i feel but yeah that is a weird sequel to think about so yeah so definitely excited for that um anything else no i think that's it all right well let's share our scares with each other 
I go first this week, and I'm giving you something I know my husband wants to watch and something that we talked about the last episode. Okay. And that is The Killing of a Sacred Deer. Oh, cool. Okay, yep. I know it's, you know, it's Yorgos, uh, who we were talking about. I know I've seen Dogtooth, and that's it. I saw Dogtooth in college and was like, this is really fucking weird. (laughs) I've not seen any of his other stuff, but I know he made the jump then to English language with, you know, The Lobster which I've always wanted to watch. And then this movie as well. Um, I don't really know much about it other than if I remember it's Colin Farrell, uh, who seems to have had a built a collaborative relationship with Yorgos. Uh, and it's got uh, Barry Keown, Keown or however you say his name. I know it's Irish and everyone says it different. Um, as is the curse with these Irish names. Uh, Cause nobody knows how to speak Irish. Um, and uh, yeah, it, all I know about it is it like, and I think this is kind of his style as a director. It plays itself like I remember the trailers for it. It looks like a just a drama, like some kind of family drama. But I know weird shit happens and it goes off into unexpected territory. So I, I have a, no idea even what the twists are going to be. But I know people are like, go into this movie knowing nothing about it is all I've ever heard. So I'm excited. OK, cool. Yeah. Uh, and I'm going to do I was kind of racking my brain here. Because uh, I had no idea what I wanted to do, but we're entering fully into spooky season. Uh, and one of the main things we've talked about for me is going back to the classic, like the old stuff uh, it, this time of year. Um, I hope you haven't seen this. What has sprung to mind because of the streaming services, they do it. They save them always for around Halloween and suddenly like on Prime and Peacock, they dump all of the classic Universal monster movies uh, on there. I know we've watched a lot of them, so I'm trying to go out to uh, branch out in that web. But my selection is Dracula's Daughter. Yeah, not seen it. I imagine it's about his daughter. So a female vampire lead. I imagine she's going to have like a little little coven of other vampirises. And... um. Yeah, they're gonna suck some guy's blood and turn Ooh. into bats. Those are that's what I'm gonna say. This is one I feel like it's kind of flown under the radar as far as like the universal uh overall goes over the years. That's kind of like I see it talked about a lot now where people are like, oh, and then but don't forget Dracula's daughter, because you know, blah blah blah. So I'm excited to talk about this and dissect it. So all right. Well, let's watch Mentakabi Adam. Yeah. And now we're back. Yeah, we are. We're going to talk about some movies. So first up is my movie. And if you just want to skip ahead to Dracula's Daughter, you can look in the podcast notes and find the time code and head on over there. But we hope you'll hang out with us. Yes. All right. So first up is The Killing of a Sacred Deer from 2017, directed by Yorgos Lanth. Lanthimos? Lanthimos? That's what it looks like. Lanthimos, I would go with? Yeah. Okay. There is no tagline because Mm. it defies a tagline. Yeah, too artsy. (laughs) Although the poster is fucking amazing. There's a couple really cool posters for this show, for this movie. 
So the description is, Dr. Stephen Murphy is a renowned cardiovascular surgeon who presides over a spotless household with his wife and two children. Lurking at the margins of his idyllic suburban existence is Martin, a fatherless teen who insinuates himself into the doctor's life in gradually unsettling ways. So Jeremy, Mm -hmm. it's your first time watching this. It is. did you think? Uh, I thought it was pretty good. (laughs) <laughs> like, okay yeah Let's yeah no. the dracula's daughter yeah okay no this is this is uh it was an experience it was one of those movies too where like uh, it, it's just so fascinating it's so unusual and probably unlike anything uh, people are used to watching like it baffles me that this did get a mainstream release um and it's got some pretty big names in it but it, it yeah. feels like something that would should be you know or not should be it's something you would expect to be more confined to art house situations and have not had the budget that it was given to be made. Uh, I think if it were made even now, like how many years ago is this movie from? 2017. 2017. So six, yeah. Five or six years ago. Yeah. I would say within, if this was made like now, it wouldn't have the budget and the actors, you know, given to it that uh, it was able to do even back then because the landscape has changed so much already uh, in mainstream, you know, Hollywood. Um, current strike going on, notwithstanding. Um, (laughs) but yeah, this, uh, uh, it's, it's gorgeous for one. That's the main thing. Like I kept finding myself lost in the cinematography Mm. and just like how good the movie looks. And half the time, like the plot is almost incidental to just like watching it because it just looks so good. Um, like the way everything is framed up and the camera movements he makes and all that are just fascinating choices. Um, and the decisions by the actors that initially I was really thrown off by the way everyone was playing it. Uh, but as the movie goes on, you start to realize this is, you know, by design. So it's stylized, like every character feels like not how a real person mm-hmm. would act. Like they're kind of stilted performances, but it feels again, like, like that was intentional um, because everyone is doing it. And they're doing it in the same sort of way. It's not like everyone was doing something like wildly different. Um, they were all kind of stilted and restrained or just slightly off kilter in the same sort of manner, um, which was this sort of like emotionless, like seeming state. Like even though horrible things are happening, like nobody has high emotion about anything in this movie. Uh, and so quickly you're like, oh no, that's that's a design feature of this world he created. So it just kind of enhances yeah. the... Um, the heightened reality, the altered reality that this feels like. It's almost Brechtian. Like if you're a theater person, like the Brechtian style, which is sort of like if anyone even is into totally into like theater, but this, the spring awakening revival is sort of that way. Like just the way things are delivered. It doesn't feel like, like at your core, like it's, it's very like almost surface level. Like you're just saying words, but it's like without the real emotion that human beings have generally. Mm hmm. It's sort of like the style that's, that it yeah, feels like. That's what it, yeah, it definitely feels like that because it's set, nothing jives <laughs> with like the things they're saying, but how they're reacting to it. They're out of step with each other. Now, did you know like what happens in this movie? Like sort of the no the clue. Crux, okay. Now that I, I watched it with Joe and he had no idea either. I had no idea other than I vaguely remember the trailers showing uh uh Colin Farrell and uh, uh Barry uh Keown, I think is how you say his name. Um 
And so I knew there was some sort of dramatic relationship between the two of them that was going to take unusual turns from what I remember from the trailers, but not the specifics that happened here. Yeah. And I mean, I, the whole time watching with my husband, cause he had mentioned wanting to watch it. He loves the favorite. I love the favorite. Have mm. you seen the favorite? I've not seen that. Oh, I heard must. it was very it is, good though. It is so, so good. That's the only other movie by this director that I've seen, but I, of course can't wait for you know what what's the strange things or whatever oh yeah uh precious things pretty things poor something things. like this poor things that's yes, it cannot wait for that he's so it's just so fascinating the choices he makes and everything but i just like could not tell what my husband thought of it until the end when i gave him my rating and then asked him his so mm-hmm. i was like shocked i just never could tell with him it's always it's so frustrating <laughs> i think i get him figured out and then he throws me for a loop which you know i guess you know keeps keeps marriage exciting yeah it keeps so, the spice in the relationship but he like i don't know 30 minutes into it like you still don't really know what's happening yet and Mm-mm. i was like do you know where this is going he's like i have no idea yeah but like even though it is like two hours and a minute like mm-hmm. i feel in particular the music really like just makes the tension so great like i never yeah. felt bored with it like it really like the music in particular i feel drives the story yeah the oh yeah, the music makes even just incidental scenes feel tense Mm-hmm. and strange um and i don't know if for certain because uh, thinking back i'm trying to remember i know the music kicks in usually when barry keon's character uh uh is in uh was was he martin that was his name yes the character's martin. name yeah. whenever martin is on screen i know musical motif comes in often in those when he's just present there's a dissonant sort of musical motif going on um, which is letting you know something's off about this guy. And props to his performance specifically. Uh, he he's so unsettling without doing, you know, well, I say without doing very much. That's probably taking away from, you know, his craft as an actor, but he's doing the right things uh, to make just his very presence intensely unsettling every time he's present on screen. Yeah. And I mean, I, I want to get into spoilers, but not right away. I guess like first I'd like to say before we do that, like just in general, this sort of story here is like Colin Farrell's his doctor. And from the get go, he has this relationship with Martin, this young, like teenager, essentially, who like you don't really understand what their relationship is. But Colin Farrell's sort of taken him under his wing. And then Colin Farrell's family, like he has Nicole Kidman, then he has a, a son and a daughter. And it's sort of is how like all of they all get sort of intertwined and then sort of like why he has this relationship with Martin is sort of like revealed as you go through. And then things take a really fucked up turn and then they even get more fucked up. Like to the point where at some point I totally think of funny games, which is not a movie I like, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it does have sort of a funny games feel eventually. Um, but I, I don't hate it. Like I, like I hate funny games, mm-hmm. uh, but, but yes. So I think it touches sort of on the sins of the father It also like i had to do some research on it but it does also this is sort of a retelling of greek mythology which did you know this already uh, i looked it up afterwards okay yeah. so like so like and they mention it in the movie like they talk about like colin farrell goes to visit his daughter's um principal i think uh mm-hmm. and is asking like how the kids are doing and he mentions that the daughter had this really great um speech or paper on Iphigenia, which is this Greek mythology, which is the story of this movie. Yes. But there are there is like a twist to it at the end that this movie does not do that twist. Um 
But yeah, so I want to talk about that later after we get through anything that also doesn't relate to spoilers, just because I feel I encourage Mm -hmm. people to go watch this. It is such a unique cinematic experience, but it's, it's so well done. I just think like all around it's powerful. It is weird, but not in a frustrating way. Mm -hmm. It's just fascinating. I also love the way the script is written in that it does not over explain anything. Yes. Sometimes even explain really anything. It's just left for you as the viewer to put the pieces together. It it is as if you are dropped into these people's lives at that moment. So there are like scene, like I can think of one specifically with uh, Nicole Kidman's character where she has an interaction with one of the other doctor, uh, Mm -hmm. the anesthesiologist, but they, they are clearly talking about some event that happened off. You know, we, we weren't aware of it until, she, you know, she brings it up. And so you're like, oh, okay. She's talking about something uh, for a second. I sat there and was like, wait, did that happen in the movie? Oh, no, 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 no. That they're referencing something that's outside the content of the movie, but informs what's happening right in that moment. So, yeah, there's so many times, so many other versions of this movie would over explain things to the point that it would be mm-hmm. like, okay, got it. But the unanswered bits here just add to its effect. Yeah. And it, yeah, it, it's just constructed so well. And, it, and it's also, I think it's amazing, again, without trying to get into the spoilers yet, you can take it for what it is at surface level, like the story, the things that happen, uh, happen. And you could just, you know, watch it and absorb it. And it doesn't really try to explain. But I, I started reading online afterwards to try and get like, so what were they doing there? What did this mean? I'm looking for the deeper meaning if there's anything out there online. And there are tons of clues and little things sprinkled throughout this movie that do give it a, it has a subtle, like underlying possible other explanation that's going on. Uh, if you're, you know, paying attention and catch these things. My favorite letterbox review is from someone named Brian Telerico. And it says, it's a one sentence that just sums it all up. And he says, a man who plays God meets a boy who plays devil. And I just mm. loved that because it is yeah. so, so this, because there's that whole God complex that so many times doctors have. And like, yes. that's Colin Farrell, like to a T in this movie. Yes. Like definitely feels like, like I'm God. Everyone else is sort of beneath me, always passing the blame. And, and it really is sort of just about how that all kind of comes back to him, sort of in, like in a karmic sort of way. Yeah. And I, I have to say too, I love uh, Colin Farrell, uh, where his career is at now, like the choices he's doing, which is... He because his skill set as an actor, I feel like is definitely as like a character actor um, and and more unusual roles. But uh, because he's handsome forever, they were trying to stick oh him God. into like leading man stuff for a minute. And it's like he just never jived with me in those sorts of roles, but uh, put him in stranger character driven things like this. And I think he excels at that sort of work. And his dad bod is so perfect <laughs> i love his hairy dad bod in this you liked it like the scene where you saw his hairy underarms oh <laughs> my god that is an understatement there's also something so sweet about a dad calling his son like darling or sweetheart i find that so endearing and so because it's not like oh i gotta call my son buddy or champ or mm-hmm. whatever like it just and it may be something to the fact that he's like irish right that is his his like, yeah um, yeah he's irish yep uh but like and it, it may have something to do with that but like it also it's i just love it i find that so so sweet mm-hmm. 
And there's also the Alicia Silverstone is in this, which I totally yeah. forgot about. And she was like, is that Alicia when, Silverstone? I was like, what? When she showed up, I said the same thing. I was like, wait a minute, is that Alicia Silverstone? And there is a, like a scene to rival a particular scene in Talk to Me that involves sucking yes. of appendages. <laughs> so oh, yeah. A really weird double feature. You can watch this and talk to me and have some linking Ooh. scenes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I, you probably have some weird nightmares too. And it like... <sighs> It makes sense, I think, that I gave this to you because it is it's adjacent enough, right? But like some places that you would call it like a mystery or a thriller or a drama, but I definitely think it fits into horror as well. No, I think it's very strongly horror movie. And when you read uh, like some of the stuff again before without spoilers yet, some of the stuff I was reading online makes me place it further more firmly in the horror genre uh when you're thinking of it in certain parameters yeah and there's i love carol of the bells i think it's the most haunting christmas carol and it's it my is. favorite christmas carol so when they did that in here i'm like you couldn't have picked a more appropriate song and also did you notice like the amityville horror like windows in like their bedroom yes <laughs> i was like that had to be on purpose 100 uh-huh. yeah. yes um okay so if you're going to watch this and you don't, I think you should step away or just like look in our pack, podcast notes, go ahead to Dracula's daughter and hear us talk about that. Cause I would like to talk spoilery. Yes. Okay. So let's get into it. So you read somewhat of the, the Greek mythology that this is based on. So I'm going to give a brief rundown. So if you have seen this movie or at this point, you don't care. You come to find out that Colin Farrell's character, Steven had been doing heart surgery on Martin's father and Martin's father died. And it is heavily indicated that Stephen was probably drunk when doing so. I don't know how Martin would know this, but Martin is like, essentially I like knows that Stephen's responsible for his dad's death. Yeah. Yes. But we never a hundred percent get, yes, that did happen. Like we don't see it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's all implied from various people that that is indeed what happened. Yes. But And I I also thought I remembered this from the first watch, but like, I thought at one point Martin was like, you wouldn't be giving me all this special treatment if you didn't kill my dad. Like he Mm -hmm. doesn't say that ever. Right. No, but it's like that, that, um, that, that guilt, like a hundred percent is why Colin Farrell is giving him all of this attention. He buys him an expensive watch. He's doing Mm -hmm. all of these things because he feels guilty. And I feel like too, that's because I was like, well, is this always what he was planning to do or no, I, I think he's trying to like make Steven his replacement dad mm-hmm. early in. But when that sours after he becomes too needy, if you will, that's when the whole plot changes. And I think that's yeah, I think at first he's he wants one thing, but when he can't have it, then he changes his his track entirely. And that's where the rest of the plot unfolds. And then like after Martin sort of becomes like close with the whole family and sort of starts kind of dating the daughter. Then all of a sudden he tells like one day the son wakes up and he can't walk. And then Martin tells Steven, he's like, by the way, everyone in your family now like is going to not be able to walk. They're going to lose their appetite. They're going to start bleeding from their eyes and then they're going to die unless Mm -hmm. you kill one of them. Therefore sort of making the exchange for killing my father. Now you have to kill one of your own and then everyone will be fine. And if you Mm -hmm. don't do that, they will all eventually die. So that's like where the horror element kicks into this movie. 
for sure. <laughs> and it's so fucked up and it's so weird. And everyone just sort of, I mean, not everyone like accepts it. Like, I mean, they, they are like, how is this happening? Why is this happening? But like, it's just, it's just so bizarre and amazing. Yeah. I love it. And it just is like, that's the thing is. where this movie doesn't explain like the, the plot just unfolds from there uh, yeah. with these, <laughs> these events just taken matter as fact. But that's what I was reading online where I'm like, in, in, in another reading, you could see this as a supernatural movie with an underlying like, or even a satanic like movie because uh, I, I hadn't noticed it. Uh, I hadn't noticed it originally. Then I read some stuff online. Then I went back and looked at some scenes to see what they were talking about. Um, and uh, there there's one scene where like an image of a blue jay is present. Uh, mm. And they said in uh, medieval times, like it's behind Martin, I think in a scene, you see an image of a blue jay. They said in medieval art, blue jays were considered uh, messengers of the devil. Uh, mm. So there's, you know, that implication. There's another scene when he goes to the school, when Stephen's at the school and talks to the teacher, because uh, it, 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 clearly it's some sort of uh, Christian school. Um, but there is a piece of paper on the teacher's desk that has a cross. But the way it's facing the camera, the cross is inverted mm. uh, very clearly. Uh, and there's a few like other things like that where it seems to be pointing that Martin is the devil or has perhaps made a pact with, you know, dark forces of some kind. And that's how he's able to do what he's doing. Yeah, I also thought I remembered a scene where Colin Farrell was or Stephen was like trying to figure out if Martin had somehow like poisoned the family, like if he had given them food that made them sick or something. And like, that never happens either. Right. No, like, he never no. Ha- like it just is happening. Like you said, it just sort of is like, they're trying to figure out why like the doctor, why can't you walk and everything. But and like, it, there's it, no like big discussion on how did, how did Martin do this to the family? No. And there's certain subtle moments where Martin seems to be at multiple places at once where mm. characters are like, Oh, I just saw him today. Uh, and then Steven's like, no, you couldn't have because I saw him or like talked to him or whatever. But like there there are a couple moments I seem to remember where people are saying he was there or the, the scene where he calls when he visits the hospital mm-hmm. and uh, and you clearly see him in the parking lot in one shot. And in the next, he's suddenly gone, but he's still on the phone with the daughter. Uh, so, yeah, he seems to be able to appear and reappear at will. So the Greek mythology is like there's this king um, Agme- how do I say it Agame- Agamemnon thank you he is like he kills the sacred deer of the goddess Artemis and she says you're not like his his troop is like going away to Troy like to fight the the big war or whatever and she's like I I'm you know we'll make it so you can't get there unless you kill your daughter in exchange for killing my sacred deer so he goes to kill the daughter and I think there's various variations on this but he goes to like kill her and the daughter is very like open to the sacrifice she's like if it must be then then so shall it be and Artemis is like so moved by like her willingness to sacrifice herself so willingly for her father, the Artemis substitutes the deer for Iphigenia, and like Iphigenia um, goes off. Iphigenia is the daughter. She goes mm-hmm. off to a city and like becomes like a priestess, and then it continues from there. But it's sort mm. of like this this interesting thing, like the the sacred deer in this case, of course, is Martin's dad. And like if you if I would have known this, the Iphigenia story in greek mythology i would have a hundred percent thought that it was going to be the daughter who died here Mm -hmm. but like then it switches it up by having it be bob yeah Um, but the whole killing of the 
the person and the the family. First of all, it's I find it fascinating that Nicole Kimmons character, um, what is her name? Anna, like she never gets sick. She doesn't lose like I thought for sure she was going yeah. to like lose. I thought there'd be a know, moment where she couldn't walk too. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like, I thought that would have been like, oh fuck, we really gotta do something that's all going downhill. So like yeah. maybe only the kids were affected, you know? Mm-hmm. But it's yeah. so crazy that she's like, let's just kill one of the kids. We can always yes. have like you would think as a mom, she would be like, just kill me. Just kill me. Like let's yeah. like let our kids live and grow and all that. But no. Yeah, no. And I think it speaks to like all of these people are just so twisted and only interested in themselves really but the daughter um, is very much like Iphigenia. she's like no you can take me let it be me yeah. and then bob is like all of a sudden like oh dad look i cut my hair like all these things you wanted yeah, to be let doing, me like, live to, yeah let me live yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is just it's so bizarre and so unique even though it's based on greek mythology but like that's what i love like remake something and like yeah and just like make it interesting and new but there's so much to mine from there because I feel like it's either you go back and you you steal from Shakespeare or you steal from the Greek <laughs> tragedies uh, and you, you've you got like so much story elements there to just reinterpret. Yeah, totally. It's just mm-hmm. it's it's really so, so good. And yeah, so many shots are beautiful, beautiful shots. So many times it's like from above, it feels sort of godlike, like, yes, all encompassing. Yep. It's just it's an all around really fascinating and fabulous film yeah absolutely anything else to say no i think that's it all right well out of uh, there's this really great line where the i think it's the daughter says can i have your mp3 player when you're dead yeah (laughs) which i love (laughs) so much so out of five um beating operating hearts Mm. how many do you give the killing of a sacred deer uh, it gets a solid four. That's precisely what I'm giving it. Oh, excellent. So we have a... Scare of approval. Scare of approval. And that's also what my husband gave it. Which wow. I was shocked. Very shocked. cool. I just could not read his body language. And then I was sure he hated it. Uh-huh. He didn't. So that's pretty there awesome. There you go. Yeah. Okay. Well, moving on to... Uh, we're moving on to Dracula's Daughter from 1936 uh, and I can't seem to get away from sequels lately so this is the sequel to the Bella Lugosi Dracula uh, and the tagline is she gives you that weird feeling and the description is a countess from Transylvania seeks a psychiatrist's help to cure her vampiric cravings oh uh... yeah so sweet and simple there so I remember mostly hearing about this in regards to it being like queer coded. Yes. That's the conversation these days. Yep. So, but like, I sort of had to dig into that a little bit. Like once I'd watched it, Mm -hmm. because I didn't want to like have things ruined for me. So it's short. It's like an hour and 11 minutes. But the thing that I, I like more than Dracula here is that it has music. Cause am I correct? Mm-hmm. The original yeah. Dracula has no music. The original Dracula has no music. And, and that I was, it drives me crazy. That was jarring to go back. Cause I watched the Bella Lugosi Dracula, like immediately after finishing Dracula's daughter to oh, like okay. go back and refresh on that one. Um, and uh, yeah, it is jarring to jump from like a full score back to just like, uh, and like the prints that exist of the Bela Lugosi Dracula too have that hiss of like I don't know what that is or where that comes from, but it's like this old hiss from like 
I think it's from the film like itself uh, while it was like running <laughs> through the camera. So there is this background constant, like ambient background kind of like an old record. Interesting. Like, yeah. Throughout that movie, like when the when there's nobody talking, you can really hear it. So, um, yeah, it, it's that's weird. Whereas this is, you know, further into the sound era and they've now started to uh, master the techniques you would need to like uh, put music in over it and do all of that. So. It makes such a difference to me. And I know that's by me as a spoiled contemporary moviegoer that the music can make all the difference. Yeah. But it's also, it's cool because it's just like Halloween too. Like it picks up right after the first one ends. Yeah, immediately after (laughs) the first one ends. And is it like the same person playing like Van Helsing? Like, is it the same actor? The only returning actor is Edward Van Sloan as Van Helsing. And how do you say Dracula's daughter's name? Maria? Uh, yeah, Maria Zaleska. It's like almost like Maria. Maria. Yeah, Maria. Right? Yep. Loved her. Gloria Holden. And I think I read it was like one of her first movies, if not her ultimate first yeah. movie. Yeah. And I think the character is super cool. I don't know why uh, Universal, I, I, she's been kind of regulated to uh, obscurity. Like they don't do much with that, you know, no merchandise, nothing. You know, and she only appears in this movie and then they don't really use her nowadays where it's like, yeah, there's some cool uh, extra monsters buried under your Frankensteins and your Draculas. Like, bring yeah. them out, too. And she's just very, and I, I know I say this kind of a lot, but she's very unique looking. Like, mm-hmm. she doesn't look like what I would imagine if you're doing this. I, I don't know. I guess I just, I was a little surprised that she wasn't like, not I'm not calling her old, but that she wasn't like young and vampish to you yeah like, like you know it, it just she feels not like matronly but a little bit uh-huh. like a little of a certain age and she isn't like this young beautiful thing like she has just like a, a very distinct elegant look about herself yes and i loved that i yeah. loved her eyes it also really reminded me of let the right one in like something about her and her relationship with her like assist like her yes her keeper whatever her her familiar yes exactly yeah very much and it felt like she was really i mean not felt it is about her struggling with like in the beginning finding out dracula is dead she thinks she will no longer be a vampire so Mm -hmm. then she's very distraught and discouraged to find out she is a vampire still like Mm -hmm. she thought the curse would be broken like i'm very and they don't go really into how she is the daughter of dracula nope just just kind of it just is you have to take it as at face value that she is and i also read something about how the source material for this was like a chapter that was taken out of dracula the original novel yeah there's this um it was a chapter uh, that was later published as a short story by itself called Dracula's Guest. Um, but apparently, like part of why it got removed was because it didn't flow with the rest of the novel. Um, and people also point out like the characterization of Dracula in it doesn't jive with the finished book as we know it, because apparently it was from an earlier draft of the novel before he had made more revisions to it. Um, so yeah, it, it's this sort of like weird extraneous thing from the Dracula lore, Dracula's guest, which has now been by itself. That story has been adapted multiple times at this point, but this is, I think the first to claim to do it. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely there. Not that I like, laughed myself but there's so much attempted comedy in it and at the time it probably was very funny to yeah. the audiences of the day but it's there's very so slapsticky. much comedy there's so yeah. much in it 
yes so especially the cops in the beginning yes. like where he's like i'm not going in there <laughs> like really goofy like yeah over the top 30s 40s like slapsticky stuff yeah it was so funny um but it, so i also read something about how the Hayes code really cracked down on it because they could tell it was like mm-hmm. a lesbian film yeah because she uh, even i guess back then they were even thinking about it where she's clearly preying on women as a woman and vampires are always so loaded with sexual uh imagery already uh or underlying like sexual themes so yeah uh, i could see how the Hayes code of course would come in and be like nope 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 you guys gotta uh tone that down can't be any explicit um I, I read like the one scene where she has the model modeling for her mm-hmm. um, originally was written to be like she was modeling in the nude, but they had mm. to uh, they had to change it so that you knew that she wasn't fully undressing. But there's all of this, you know, she is a vampire, which really is like the coding for her being a lesbian um, and how she so doesn't want to be that thing. You know, she mm-hmm. wants to be cured of it. And they talk about, you know, she needs to meet her temptations. And if she's strong enough, she can overcome it, which very much feels like, you know, like conversion therapy, like in a way, like it just like, it speaks to like that. And then she can't overcome it because it is who she is. But then spoiler alert, but it's so many years old. Yeah. What happens to her? Like happens to so many lesbians. In movies, she's she gets killed. <laughs> yep, she gets killed. <laughs> Which also is not a surprise because that's most vampire movies, right? So it yeah. isn't like, but like it just feeds into that whole thing. Like she doesn't want to be it. She ultimately can't fight it anymore. She that's who she is, and she dies. <laughs> yeah, and it's unfortunate because you're like, I, you want a happy ending there, and like how Ooh. fascinating too to totally do a story that like. Vampire stories don't usually focus on the vampire being like, I don't want to be a vampire. I want to be, you know, not like focusing on it as solely just a vampire movie. What an unusual vampire we get, especially in the like 30s when this is still a new genre Uh, to the point where I was reading online that this movie specifically is like the biggest cinematic influence on Anne Rice and her Mm. vampire uh, stories. So. Oh, I like that. Yeah, okay. and in in the idea that they could be more complex and uh, layered characters themselves, the vampires, and not just the monsters. So, and even in like the taglines for it, which just knowing what it is, I think maybe that's why I can read into it so much, and why most people probably can. But like one of the taglines was, "She gives you that weird feeling." Yeah, <laughs> or she's weird. They really like lay into this weird thing. She's weird. She's exotic. She's beautiful. She's hypnotic. Save the women of the city. That was the one. Yeah, because <laughs> I know there was one that was something like you know, save the women of London or whatever you know, wherever it's set. So it's like they were definitely leaning into that queer uh, coding. But her eyes are so gorgeous like i just love her how unique she is i just loved that yeah and i do love the fact too that like they did this one and then i guess they just couldn't get out of the idea of like dracula sequels are gonna be about his children because the next one in this specific series is son of dracula so that's about dracula's son so that's the next one in this uh universal cycle of dracula movies okay okay yep and I also heard that they tried to get James Whale, but he didn't want to get like pigeonholed or he thought he was doing too many horror movies or something. Yeah. Yeah. But then he would come back and do, uh, um, was it, had he done Bride of Frankenstein yet? I think that's like what he would eventually do instead of this movie, I think was Bride of Frankenstein, if I remember. 
Yeah, but I really liked it. And I mean, it's a brisk hour and 11, but it doesn't feel like two hours like some of those movies. And I think the music has so much to do with that. Yeah, I remember. So this is only my second watch of this um, because this was always one that like, I don't know. I feel like the Dracula sequels, like as much as I grew up loving Universal Monsters and like watching tons of them, the I liked the original Dracula, but I like never really engaged with it as a kid, the sequels to it. Cause they just didn't seem like as exciting as, you know, these other like monster, because at least like the Frankenstein sequels, you get the monster rampaging and like every single movie, like these ones seemed more like, Oh, it's just people talking. And sometimes there's a vampire in it and the vampires aren't even really that monstrous. So I don't think it ever caught my attention. So I hadn't seen this one until adult life, but my first watch, I liked it a lot, but I feel like this go around, I didn't love it. I still enjoyed it. I just didn't like it as much. And I think it's that whole, uh, what we've been running into with my like older movie picks lately has been like, they talk an awful lot and there's long stretches without any major plot developments or action going on. So. Yeah, and I mean, the action here, it's few and so, far between. So minimal. Yeah, it's mostly people talking. So It's more about the drama of her not wanting to be what she is. Yeah. You know, like, but the the times people are bitter, whatever, are, you know, you don't really see it at all. No. Yeah, it's done mostly off screen. So, yeah. And then the ending is kind of like the climax just throws in a bunch of like action that happens all to wrap things up. And that's that's kind of it. The good old abrupt ending. Yeah, and then it's just done. <laughs> They're like, well, the story's over. I just, I'm so curious which movie finally broke that. And they're like, you know what? Let's have some resolution in a denouement. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder what the first movie is <laughs> to actually. all like this for a while. Yeah, they are. They're just like, well, the action's done. The end. And it's like, <laughs> like who decided like the third act kind of needs like an epilogue to like. Yep. Show people that, you know, what happens to everybody, you know, give it a little more closure. So, yep. yeah, but, but yeah, uh, it's, it's good. It's a good yeah. little flick. Yeah, it's a fun one. Um, So unless you have anything else to add. I don't. Um, out of uh, out of five uh, <laughs> crossbows to the chest. How many do you give it? I give it three and a half. I, exact same thing I'm going to Oh, my it. God. Look at <laughs> us. Look at us. Another. Scare of approval. Scare of approval. That's right. Double fist. Yeah. I feel couple, like it's been a little while. Yeah, it's been a little while since we've nailed it. That, yep. that like this. <laughs> two, two recommendations for people. Yes. So that's very exciting. And a little unusual for spooky season, I think. Like, it's great that the spooky season is here, but these are... I wouldn't think normally what I'd go to to throw into my viewing, but mm-hmm. they were good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, everyone would love to know your thoughts. As always, write to us, scaringasharing at gmail.com or follow us on Insta, scaringasharing. All one word. <laughs> Smash it together. Smash that like button. Rate us. Write us. Review us. We love you. Yeah. Review us on uh, I iTunes is it's Apple podcast, right? That's yeah. what it's called now. iTunes. Yeah. What am I talking about? Review us on Apple and we'll read it. We we sure the fuck will. Yeah, or anywhere, actually. We'll read any review. I just know that That's Apple true. reviews is where you can easily access them. So we'll read yep. it. Yep. And remember, I see dead people. Until mm, next time, guys, this chud's for you. <laughs> and keep watching and talking about scary movies because... Scaring is sharing. Bye. Scaring is sharing. Scaring is sharing.
has been a production of Planet Amp Podcast, powered by Pinecast.